Boy, this last couple months as we've gone through this unexpected series, the conversations we have had have been amazing. And the life some people are beginning to experience and see has just been so cool. And it's just been such a fun time, you know, just walking with people. People that Scott reached out to so many people and had meetings and met with people from those texts, which is just amazing. You make beautiful things, that song said. Man, beauty could be such an interesting thing in our culture, can't it? I mean, you think of beauty. What is beautiful? What is not beautiful? Or the famous saying, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, right? Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Well, I found some other comments that kind of flow out of that I found interesting. This one was from Jim Henson. It said, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder and it may be necessary from time to time to give a stupid or misinformed beholder a black eye. (laughs) Any of you felt that before? Or this one's from uh, Salma Hayek said this, people often say beauty is in the eye of the beholder and I say that the most liberating thing about beauty is realizing that you are the beholder. It's pretty powerful. This one someone put on a mirror I thought was cool. Warning, reflections in this mirror may be distorted by socially constructed ideas of beauty. Isn't that true? Looking in the mirror, what do you see back? What you see back is what our culture tells us to see back. Your flaws, your faults, where you come up short. Being disappointed with our culture can create you to be disappointed with yourself. It is a very big issue. I think it's so true. And, and so much of beauty is just purely subjective. And that causes some problems with beauty. Three things I just thought of about problems with beauty is first that we're not that good at seeing it. We're really not. We live in a culture where beauty is so surfaced. It is so superficial that the whole issue could be so damaging instead of encouraging. And that's a huge deal. We overemphasize outward beauty. We focus on cost as determining value. <laughs> I, was, I was driving to Newport Beach with my son for Christmas to a family Christmas thing, and this brand new red Ferrari drove by us in the, in the thing. I was like, oh, guys, look at that car. And my son goes, why? I'm all, because that's a Ferrari. So? Dude, it's like worth probably over $300,000. He goes, Dad, why do you put value on things like that? And he, he just started questioning my value system. And when you really get a kid that's how you, you just don't have the answer, you know? Like, what's wrong with that car compared to the car next to it, you know? And I'm like, well, the car next to it I see all the time, you know? And that one you don't ever see. Man, Dad, you know what? You got to just really question why you value. Think, well, you got to question why you're going to walk home from Newport Beach. <laughs> But I haven't stopped thinking about that. Like what we ascribe is valuable and what captures us and gets our hearts. Performance, the high pressure performance or success. Beauty is so defined by how we look or what we do or what we achieve over who we are in our culture. And it's caused our culture, in my opinion, to be a pretty darn intense place to live. It's intense. It is intense to live in it, to live up to it. And it is difficult to see beauty clearly in it. The the second thing is that we have this huge priority of beauty. We have a huge priority. So not only are we not good at seeing it, but we prioritize it. So we're just focusing on that which we can't see clearly, you know. To be beautiful. To have an experience, to have an experience of beautiful life and beautiful things is an obsession in many ways in our culture. 
Instagram, right, creates everything is perfect. Everything is beautiful. Oh, they got, any of you get jealous when you're on Instagram? Like, oh, they got to go there again. Oh, they travel all the time and I don't go anywhere, you know. Oh, they got, they got to surf that wave. I hate them, you know. It's like bitterness and anger and all this stuff can happen. My wife and I were at Disneyland once in the last 15 years, literally. So, but we're at Disneyland, we're walking and there's this girl taking a selfie. And I just stood back and said, I'm going to watch her. 12 minutes I watched her. I left and she was still trying to get it right. It was just like, oh. <laughs> and I'm thinking uh, the Instagram post is going to be like, oh, just having fun at Disney, snap the shot. Oh, no, you didn't. You spent your whole day at that spot trying to get the perfect spot. So you look the best, best background, and everyone's jealous of you, right? Didn't bother me, but whatever. I know, this is the side. Don't, don't take a picture on this side. <laughs> My nose is crooked. Anyways, and then here's the third thing. The power of beauty can consume us. It can consume us. It can control us. So we're not good at seeing it, and we live in a culture that is pretty obsessed, has a huge priority on it, and it has the power to consume us. We're working with teenagers for the last 20, 25 years. The pressure that young women and men feel in this culture is overwhelming. The pressure to achieve and to perform for their parents, for their coaches, for their teachers, for their peers. The depression and the self-esteem issues and the, uh, the thoughts of wanting to hurt themselves and they're not worthy is so rampant. And I think it's a big deal it has to do with this issue. I'm unattractive, I'm unfulfilled, I'm unsuccessful, I'm boring. There's no beauty in my life. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. But each person has so much that's coming into them that why they think the way they think and so much of our culture that values beauty and it's constantly bombarding us with what it looks like and what it should look like with us. And I guess I want to think about this issue today together. And I want us to consider a few things. First is this. What if God was the beholder which, by which we saw beauty? What if God was the beholder by which we saw beauty. That's what's so powerful to me about the Bible. Probably one of the things that's most powerful about the Bible is I believe it helps us to see through God's eyes. It helps us to see through a lens that we might be able to start seeing things differently and identifying beauty differently and, and, and just seeing things the way God would want us to. We see throughout the scripture men and women that are wrestling with life. They're wrestling with their relationships. They're wrestling with God. And in that, God is walking with them. He's working within their lives. He's journeying alongside them, leading and guiding them, teaching them, helping them to see things through his eyes. In the Bible, anyone, the life that stands out to me so much when it comes to this is Solomon, King Solomon. Uh, actually, the book of Ecclesiastes is such, a, is such a fascinating book. We're going to start it next week, by the way. So we're going to start going through the book of Ecclesiastes starting next week. So read it this week. Oh, hold on to your seats. It's a classic book. You see, you see Solomon was this guy that had all this wisdom from God. He builds God's temple. He does all these incredible wise things. But his heart gets captured by the beauty of women and power, possessions, and it destroys his life. 
You get to the book of Ecclesiastes and it almost seems like you got this old man ranting and raving and complaining about life and all these things he's tried to figure out and couldn't figure anything out. So fascinating. But, but in the midst of this book, when you're listening to him just griping and complaining, he'll all of a sudden drop this bombshell of wisdom. It's just like, and you'll just stop at a verse and go, ooh, I gotta think about that one a little. I wanna look at one of those with you today. And it stems out of probably one of the most famous parts of, his, of, of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one that has, it's kind of a poetic song. And as I read it, you might even think of a song, but it says this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, the time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. How does Solomon know this? Because he has seen it. Probably for many of us here, we've seen it, right? You see these realities of life. In one way or another, we've wrestled with it. But then the bombshell of wisdom drops right after this. It was up on the screen during the song. It's in Ecclesiastes 3.11 when he says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Right after, he says, man, there's a time for this and a time for this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also said eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. It's like... It, this word eternity is, I don't think he's talking about like this infinity, you know? Really, this word seems to be talking about this knowledge of life. Like he's given, this set this knowledge of life, some translations say, like in the hearts of men that they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So he has this idea, this knowledge of life has been placed into the hearts of all people, even though we cannot fathom the beginning and the end, because only God knows that. Here's Solomon finally realizing only God knows that. And throughout this whole book, Solomon is griping and complaining that all is meaningless. All is chasing after the wind. That's what he says over and over and over again. Well, Solomon was told to him that whatever his heart desired, he went after and he got. Can you imagine if you actually got everything your heart desired? That would be destructive in my life. And it was in his life too. Whatever he desired, he went after and he got and he began to find it all to be meaningless. It's like throughout this book, he's asking this question like, man, what the heck is this crazy life about anyways? It seems just so meaningless and useless. But then in verse 11, he has this moment of clarity. He has this moment, this minute where he, 
He sits there and says, wait a minute, here I am right here, right now. If I stay in this present, if I stay in this moment, if I look around me through the eyes of God, the only one who truly knows the beginning from the end anyways. And in reality, that beginning and end could be like millions of years ago to millions of years from now, or it could be yesterday to tomorrow, right? Any of you still concerned or confused about what happened yesterday and how this whole fight started? And I don't even know what's going on. I mean, sometimes last week can be as confusing as five years ago. So I don't know if you're talking about like past, you know, eternity to eternity or just yesterday to tomorrow. I think David, I mean, Solomon here is finally just getting to this place. If I open my eyes here and now and I don't get caught up in the chaos all around me, I can see that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Oh, what a powerful reminder. I think he learned it from his dad. His dad is King David. His dad wrote most of the Psalms. And his dad, I bet you had this journal when he was a younger shepherd writing and looking under the stars and wrestling with God. I wonder if Solomon ever looked through that, you know. David had a crazy life as well. Constantly seemed to be fighting to see the Lord more clearly. Fighting to see what God was doing. wanting to see God in the midst of the chaos. And in that, he wrote in Psalm 27, 4, I love this. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And I don't think David was talking about after I die, I want to go out there. I think he was talking about right here, right now, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To gaze upon the beauty. Can you feel the power in that psalm? Can you feel the power, the power of today, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, spending each day in the temple of the Lord in his presence? That's what David wanted. That's what he was wrestling with. Here's the unexpected thing I want us to consider. There can be unexpected beauty in today if we can see it through the eyes of God. There could be unexpected beauty today if we could begin to see it through the eyes of God. And I know this is way easier oftentimes said than done. I get it. I understand. But I so deeply believe that this is true. I've told you guys before, if you've heard me teach, I was raised in a coach's home, right? And, and if you ever raised in a coach's home, you've got to hear about attitude all the time. It's your attitude. Attitude matters, right? I grew up with that. And then I remember reading somewhere a long time ago, years ago, that this guy wrote that 90, life is 90% attitude and 10% circumstance. And I remember that just sticking in my head. And I, I can tell you that I have really tried to put that to the test over the years. I really have. I, it's what I want to be about. It really is. I, it's, a, it's a conscious effort. It doesn't just come naturally. It, it's an effort. You've got to put some time and effort into that, you know. As a coach, taking my dad, I used to always tell the kids, attitude and effort, that's all you can control on the baseball field, right? Stop controlling the ump, stop controlling this, stop just attitude and effort. Focus on that and let everything else go. 
So I've tried to do that. And I, and I want to tell you, over the years, that, that, that reality of 90% attitude, 10% circumstance has shown itself to be true over and over and over again. It showed itself to be true whether I followed it or didn't. Like if I didn't follow it, I showed, it showed itself to be true. That my attitude still was 90%, right? Even if it was a bad one. It created a lot of bad things. It's a very powerful reality. And becoming more clear about this reality doesn't just come from my life or focusing on me. It also caused me to have to look at others. I had to begin to look at people that had this kind of attitude, people that I saw seeing things in a different way, and I needed to begin to learn from looking around me. Uh, one time I had a friend of mine who had a way more patience for his son than I did, and his son was a lot worse than me, and that was the first time I realized maybe it was me and not my son. Maybe he had this attitude, the, the dad, that was showing more patience that made an impact on me. But probably the, one of the people that makes a huge impact in my life is my buddy who goes to church here. He's turning 91 this year. He's turning 91 this year. He's one of my favorite people to hang out with. And it was right outside these doors when he came up to me about a year and a half, two years ago and said, Steve, I got cancer. And he said, but I'm not going to let it get me. And me, in my compassion, any of you know me, you know that compassion is one of my gifts and kindness and, you know, said, dude, something's going to get you. You're 90. (laughs) And he said, but not this. And it didn't. As a matter of fact, his first doctor said, dude, you're 90. There's nothing we're really going to do. And he goes, well, forget you. And he went and found someone that did and he conquered it. And he's 90, turning 91 this year. And he still works. And he retired successfully at 57, but got bored in two days. (laughs) So I talked to him this week and said, I want to talk about this because your attitude, every time I meet with him, he just is like, young man, son, you know, just the way he talks. I just want to be around him and learn from him. And so I talked to him about this this week and he goes, well, let me tell you, there's two things. There's two things I focus on that help me in this area. And I go, okay, what are they? He goes, first of all, if I'm having a bad day or things aren't going well, I give myself a five minute cry time a day and that's it. But I'm going to go after it in those five days, those five minutes. Okay, done five minutes, beep, 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 move on. He goes, I've been doing that for years. Five minutes a day, I get to complain and moan and cry. He goes, the second thing is, he goes, I was raised in a Catholic background, and so we always did the Lord's Prayer. That's what I raised doing the Lord's Prayer. And he says... Every day I go to my work, I got this elevator that I get into, and I get into the elevator, and I've got a time, Steve. Now I've got a time. Like I press the button to this floor I need to go to, and I start. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the glory and the power forever. Amen. And he says, Steve, I got a time now. I press the button. I start the prayer. Right when I say amen, the door opens. And it's time to enter into the kingdom of the Lord and to make a difference in my life and to see the beauty of things. And I was like, and so, man, it's weird, isn't it? It's like there's this circle of life when I'm hanging out with my buddy or I'm hanging out with the little kiddos, man. Little kiddos like under five, under six, under seven, they're still like all, yeah, life, woo, go in kindergarten, woo, right? And then I'm with my 90-year-old friend. It's like, life, yeah, standing, keeping going, I'm gonna go. And what happened to us in the middle? Like somehow we just lose that somewhere, right? 
We're no longer kids. We're not like the old 90-year-old that just knows, don't got a lot of time, ain't gonna grab and complain, just keep going. And maybe we can learn from both of them. And he began to sit there and say, well, let's not lose this in the middle. And when I was talking to him the other day, Philippians 4, 8 really stood out to me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Set your mind on these things. That's what my friend does. That's what he chooses to do. And again, it's not that easy, I understand. But maybe his life might give you just something to say, I'm gonna take a step. I'm gonna take a step. Maybe when you pull up to home or pull up to your office or pull up to your school, maybe the Lord's prayer just becomes his focus. Not just something, to him he says, it's not just something I say, Steve. It's something I set my mind on. Something real that I wanna live this out in my life. One step towards seeing the beautiful in this day, no matter what's happening, because he has made everything beautiful in its time. Here's my challenge on this. Uh, Don't allow yourself to be so focused on the circumstances that you miss something beautiful in today. Don't do it. Oh, man, I remember a long time ago, I read this old monk, uh, this old monk's proverb. I think it was like this Buddhist monk's proverb. And uh, so it's, it, 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 there's this monk and he's walking through the forest and a lion comes out from around the tree and it begins to chase him. I always think of Nacho Libre running from him, his little monk thing, but <laughs> if, you don't, if you can't go there, that's okay. But um, so he's running from, he's running from this line. He gets to this cliff and there's a vine going over the cliff. So he begins to climb down the vine. As he gets halfway down the cliff, this other line comes at the bottom of the cliff. So now here he is halfway down this vine and there's a line looking down at him and there's a lion looking up from, you know, and he's just sitting there. And this little mouse about 10 feet above him crawls out of a hole, goes onto the vine and starts nibbling on the vine. Any of you ever been there? Is that what your life feels like right now, maybe? It's like, man, I got a lion in front of me, a lion behind me, and a stinking mouse chewing on the only thing I'm holding on to, right? And so he's sitting there holding on, looking at this, and he looks over to the side of the hill, and growing out of the side of the hill is the most beautiful flower he's ever seen. And he looks over and he goes, man, that's the most beautiful flower I've ever seen. That's the end of the proverb. Do I need to explain it? You might have a line before you, you might have a line behind you, and you might have a mouse chewing on the vine that you're holding on to, but do not let that stop you from seeing something beautiful today. And I'll just never forget that. It's there. The beauty's there, sometimes harder to see than other times, but it's there. One of my favorite passages that I share often when it comes to King David and how he sees things is in Psalm 118. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You guys have probably heard me say that if you've been around me at all uh, or to hear my teachings, I always use that passage. But there's something I haven't ever done. I looked at it. I've never done, done it here since I've been here for 10 years here at Rancho. I've never looked at the whole passage with you guys and that's what I wanna do today. Just look at what's before it because this is pretty cool. It's Psalm 118. It says this, open for me the gates of of righteousness, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and, the, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then he says, this is the day the Lord has made. 
let us rejoice and be glad in it. What a powerful portion of scripture. You see, Jesus quotes that psalm in his ministry. Jesus quotes that. When Jesus is facing off with the religious leaders, when they are trying to condemn him, when they are trying to arrest him, when they are trying to kill him, when they are accusing him of being friends of sinners and being friends of these wrong people and not religious enough, when they are going after Jesus, he says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. You see, here's the point. Jesus was making it clear that he is that capstone that he is the gate by which men can enter into righteousness and enjoy the presence of the Lord. That what David was talking about, I don't even think David understood what he was talking about was ultimately gonna be Jesus where his salvation that David was focusing on, that Jesus is where mankind's hope ultimately lies. He was rejected by those who were the leaders of the religious system and the powers, the builders. He was the rock that was rejected by the builders, but became the chief cornerstone, the capstone. He was crucified and he died at the hands of the religious and political leaders of that day. He took on the sins of the world and he died and he rose and conquered sin and death and is now the cornerstone of life, hope, in salvation. When David wanted to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, I don't think he even understood the reality of how beautiful it was going to be. Something that we now see in and through Christ. You see, David was looking forward to the promise to come. We get to look back at the promise fulfilled. We actually see that day of the Lord. Let's as the day of the Lord is made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We see that day because I think that day of the Lord he's talking about is the day that Jesus took care of our sins, conquered sin and death, and now reigns forevermore. Amen. That's the day. That's the day we're in. That's the day we're in. This beautiful day of Christ. See, here's true beauty. True beauty is found in the love of God through Christ. True beauty is found in the love of God through Christ. His life, death, resurrection, and reign. His life because Jesus came to bring a message. He came to bring a message of hope, of love, of mercy, and grace. He came and the only people he got ticked off was the religious people that were continuing to try to give all these hoops for people to have to jump through to get to God. And he was saying like, man, you guys are just broader vipers. And when they jump through all your hoops, they become twice the children of hell than you are. Oh, but to the sinner, to the adulterer, to the tax collector, to the people that were rejected by that culture, by the religious and political culture, oh, Jesus said, come to me and find life. He said, I didn't come for the, the, the well, I came for the sinner. I came for the broken. And he was rejected and died on a cross. And on that cross, he was killed by those religious and political leaders. And the craziest thing is even on that cross, he looked at them and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing either. Talk about putting on display the love and the mercy and the power of God. What a powerful reality as he took on death, conquered sin and death through his resurrection and didn't just conquer sin and death. He also says he rose from the dead to declare that he is the son of God with power. When he was talking about this new life in God, they were asking him, oh, what, what gives you the right to talk about this stuff? He goes, well, just kill this temple and in three days I'll rise it again and then I'll show you, right? It's kind of that kind of thing. 
when he rose from the dead, he was saying, what I said is true, here I am. Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side, my Lord, my God. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, declaring and proving he is who he said he was, and now he reigns through the power of his spirit that he now gave us. He says, when I go away, don't worry, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you the spirit of God. Now my kingdom is gonna reign on this earth and it's gonna reign through you. It's gonna reign through you. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. As his spirit now rules and reigns within us and we are now his hands and his feet and his life and his body and his temple, right? We are a temple being put together here on this earth, bringing forth this love and mercy and this message of God. That is beautiful. That's the message of salvation and hope. I, I just put it like this. Christ showed that life matters and that can make today unexpectedly beautiful. This day, this is the day Christ reigns in and through us. That matters. That's beautiful. That's awesome. When you love your wife, when you forgive your kids, when you walk with the people at your work that are hard to walk with, when you are walking with people on the freeway that are really hard to drive with, whatever it is, right? When you are moving forward that message of Christ, when you are standing up for the oppressed and the hurting and the rejected, when you are loving and caring and giving and forgiving, you are living out the kingdom of God on this earth and continuing to advance thousands of friends, advancing the cause of Christ. That's what this whole unexpected series has been about. Unexpected grace, unexpected honesty, unexpected kindness, unexpected fun, unexpected thoughtfulness and optimism and engagement and devotion, all leading to this life of unexpected beauty, a life that's not controlled or consumed by circumstances or what this world calls beautiful, but has its foundation in God through Christ. That's what he calls beautiful. And in us, it's beautiful. I, I, I was thinking of 1 John 4. I was, I, I was gonna end with this verse. This is how God showed his love among us. This is it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, so it has its foundation in Christ's love that he gave his life. He took care of the sins of the world. Not that we loved, but that he loved first. But look at what he goes on to say. I love this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. I haven't seen God. Maybe some of you have, maybe you haven't. I've never seen God, but check this out. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God, but when we love, people see God. That's the message. That's what we are now as Christians, as the body of Christ. That's why we focus on the message of grace and living that grace out with one another. And when I sit there and think of this verse like love one another, I think of the Corinthians verse. Love is what? Patient, right? The first thing, love is patient. Maybe for, we just need to stop there. Let's just not go to the next description till we get this one down. Maybe just having extreme patience is gonna be all that we need to focus on. To sit there and begin to help people see God. Patience with one another. Patience with people that disagree with us. Patience with people that see things different than us. Patience with people that act different than us. Patience with people that look different than us. Patience as we put on display the love of God. Extreme patience with one another. And it says patience, kindness. So it's a whole bunch. If we just not do the whole list, I get a little like, oh, I can't do them all. Just give me one, right? 
And the first one's a pretty good one. Seeing things through the eyes of God who makes everything beautiful in its time is what the Bible's helping us to do. And I just wanna encourage you, it begins as you enter into that grace through faith. As you enter into that salvation and that hope and that life of Christ and that Christ reigning in you comes as you begin to trust and have faith in what Jesus is declaring and what he did. As you believe and trust that he died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose conquering sin and death. And you sit there in a sense, you, repentance is like I turn my mind from just like this is what I see is beautiful and I'm gonna keep trying to do harder and harder or whatever to turning and saying, God, you died. My sins are forgiven. There's life. You rose from the dead conquering sin and there's life life in you. I believe that. I think the greatest response we can have to that for the first time ever is gratitude and thankfulness. Thank you for what you have done in my life. Thank you what you've done for that my sins are gone. That new life is for me and you. And maybe you've never done that. And I just want to tell you, as we end this unexpected beauty, maybe you will enter into that beautiful reality today by just saying, wow, that's awesome. We have a prayer corner back there and we'll have some volunteer pastors back there if you wanna pray with someone and go back there and say, man, I've never trusted in Christ. I, don't, I, I just wanna pray and I just wanna say that I believe that this is true and I believe it is true for me and I'm, I wanna just enter that grace. We have baptisms going on. In the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it was always just like, you know, they believed and they got dumped. You know, so you can go out there. All is Baptism isn't making some promise to God. Baptism is making a public display of the promise you believe God has made to us. That through Christ's death, my sins are gone. And through his resurrection, I am resurrected a new life. Now part of the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. Now part of God's work on this earth. And you can go out there, man, either Kirk Howe or Rich Zerpel will be out there and they would love to talk with you, pray with you, lead you through that understanding and baptize you. We have t-shirts and towels. What a beautiful reality, huh? I hope you might see that unexpected beauty in your life and through your life through the power of God. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for all that you've done in and through our lives and, and just the beauty of your message, the beauty of your life and what you taught, the beauty of the most crazy thing ever, your death, which is hard to even say beauty, but realizing that our sins, the sins of the world are being taken care of. You're gonna raise from the dead, conquering sin and death. And now you reign in and through us. May we begin to see the beauty of that, that our life matters today as we believe we are loved by you and we get the opportunity to love others. May that create an unexpected beauty in our lives. For your glory and your honor and praise in Jesus' name, amen.